Leading organizations with intentionality and purpose is complex work. And dedicated leaders work tirelessly each and every day to build impactful cultures of collaboration. But effective collaboration is difficult and messy. The good news is you don't have to do it alone. Join the Jigsaw Learning Team for Leading Collaborative Response, sharing insights for leaders committed to establishing, refining, and deepening collaborative response in their organization. Welcome back to Leading Collaborative Response. You're going to notice a little bit of a change as we start to see some shifts in the way that we do our podcasting here at Jigsaw Learning. So not only today am I joined by Curtis and Lorna Hewson, the founders and lead learners with Jigsaw Learning, but we have our first Leading Collaborative Response guest in Erin Norrish, who is the Early Learning Coordinator in Grassland School Division. So hi, Erin, and hi, Curtis and Lorna. Hi, Jen. Hi, Erin. Hi. And just for those that are either watching on YouTube or taking it in uh, from whatever podcast provider you are utilizing, our intention is that uh, as we move into the new year that are putting the pieces podcast, we are infusing it in with leading collaborative response so that leading collaborative response really does become that series that allows us to explore concepts that are integral when leading collaborative response, but then also the opportunity to meet with partners such as Aaron, who are engaging in the work um, right in out in the field uh, at ground level, we could say. So we're really excited about uh, the leading collaborative response shift and how we can integrate not only our understandings, but the understandings of those implementing um, with their teams. So, so excited to have you join us today, Aaron. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here to share and um, have a conversation. Awesome. So Jen, I'll turn it back over to you, my friend. Absolutely. So as things begin to shift, and I get to say one of the greatest opportunities that I've had is when Curtis and Lorna get to connect me with the partners that they've had the opportunity to work with. And as I kind of start to move into the background and connect it to WeCollab, as that starts to pick up, I won't have these opportunities. So I'm very excited that I do get to speak with you, Erin, because Lorna has spoken very highly of you. But for our audience, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role in Grasslands? Sure. Um, so I knew that I wanted to be a teacher way back in kindergarten. And um, my very first writing sample actually in kindergarten stated those intentions, that good old question of um, <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up <laughs> was a teacher. And so it just happens so fast. I've now been teaching for 16 years and um, I'm looking forward to probably another 16 or 17. Um, but those 17 years I know are going to fly by as well. So um, I just, I think that the successes and the challenges within education make every day new and exciting. And so um, I started to dive into that lead learner opportunity about nine years ago. And I'm also loving that work and really working to drive the student learning and, and team culture is really important to me. Erin, that's, it's such a, a great point that you make about you know, you, we just get the opportunity to refresh and renew, you know, both every year with a new group of students or every year with a new staff team, but that opportunity to continually 
uh, grow and learn alongside of both our students and our colleagues is pretty exciting. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, so Grasslands uh, is a school division in the southern part of our province. And so we have a great mix of rural schools and city schools, and we also have seven colony schools. And so the early learning coordinator in Grasslands is the facilitator of our pre-kindergarten and kindergarten programming across our division. Um, so I work as an advocate uh, to support our earliest learners. And then I also work alongside our early learning staff to coach them towards optimal student learning. And um, our early learning programs here in Grasslands are designed to meet the complex needs of our two-year, eight-month-old students all the way up to six years old. And so we just, we're really striving to establish those foundational skills that our students need to be successful in grade one and all the way up to graduation. It is so, um, so important those years, uh, those early years. And, you know, we know that a child's success and the support that they receive at that point is so integral to their success later on. And we see that presented in the research all the time. So yeah, you have a pretty important job, Erin, being able to support those early years, teachers and, and staff. I was just going to say it is a great job. <laughs> it, is, it would be my dream job. <laughs> I do have to share, I have a personal experience in relation to this, not as a kindergarten teacher, but as a child of a lifelong kindergarten teacher. My mother uh, yeah. taught kindergarten. So my earliest experiences was after school when I was younger, being able to come over and just play in that mm -hmm. environment. And then <laughs> later it became the earliest um, opportunities that I had to essentially informally intern because if I came over after school, I was gonna get put to work putting up bulletin boards, organizing <laughs> books, getting centers ready. It uh, kind of gave me that firsthand view into, okay, there's some stuff that happens with teaching that uh, I need to be aware of. There was often days where I go, I'm going to catch the bus instead of walking <laughs> yes. over to the kindergarten room because I know <laughs> mom's got this project ready for me to go with. Yeah, I, I'd be curious to know how many things you laminated or photocopied <laughs> or cut out. I, I can remember I got the laminating sure. job yeah. uh, once at an early age, and then it was taken away from me because I made several errors. However, I became very good at cutting. That, uh, yes, teachers are very particular about uh -huh. the lamination. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so <laughs> funny. Oh, it's, that's funny. Go ahead, Jen. I was just going to say, it's really interesting. So I worked in a K-12 school, um, primarily as the high school math and science teacher. And so, you know, you, we were kind of divided and, and there was often talk about, about prep time and who needed more. And you'd hear the people that are marking the essays or writing all the math exams. And they'd say, you know, well, we need more because it's, and I'm like, no, no. Do you know how much time it takes to print all those things, yeah. <laughs> put all those things in there? And then the value, the value of that early intervention, that puff programming. And, and I did not become as aware of it until I became a parent and the recognition and realization of how those early foundations really do impact all the way through. So 
kudos to you because I could not do your job. It takes a very special person to do your role, but I value those that take that on. Uh, Lorna does have uh, another follow-up question, but just for those that may be listening from outside of our province, can you explain what we mean when we utilize that acronym PUFF? It's it's quite familiar for us within the Zoom call, but for those that might be listening, wondering what that means. Yeah, sure. So uh, PUFF in Alberta stands for Program Unit Funding, and so it has um, it is designed to support students within that young age range. So the two years, eight months to six years with um, that are experiencing severe delays in any of the developmental domains. So we see a lot of students that enter with uh, the severe delays in an expressive or a receptive communication, but there is an ever increasing um, complexity of students that we're, we are seeing. So, and we've, we have talked a bit about whether that trend is due to COVID, um, what some people in education world are calling COVID babies. Mm. So there's um, that, where there was such a lacking opportunity for our little littles as they were growing in their you know, zero to two phase to be able to interact and socialize and understand what it is like to have a relationship. So we are, I think, seeing a little bit of those effects right now. Yeah, you know, um, we are so fortunate, Erin, in Alberta to be able to have access to that funding to support those early years because it is so integral, especially the communication and the speech language re expressive receptive piece that if we can get a good start on that, then kids are just so much more successful in the rest of their career. Yeah, so true. And uh, we know that if students don't have those supports and that foundation established by about grade three, that we really start to see the effects of that um, grade four and beyond. So it is really important. And I am proud to be part of a division that really prioritizes early intervention path programming. Um, it is really nice to work for a school division that feels and sees that importance. Yeah, for sure. But it's not easy work. <laughs> I know because I served <laughs> as in that tough coordination role for a number of years as well and and yeah. supporting schools in trying to design programming. But you know what we often see, Erin, is uh, in schools and and Jen kind of alluded to this already a little bit, that you know we often look at kindergarten as being different. And that, uh, you know, everything that happens in kindergarten is different than grades one to 12. Right? <laughs> and I, I kind of laugh because there are so many things that you do in those early years programming that are so impactful and could have great influence on the other grades as well. Um, but in thinking that when we turn to collaborative response, I think that, you know, we've really focused in on what happens in the school and there's lots of schools who will uh, put collaborative team meetings in place for their grades one to six, but not kindergarten because 
we're not really sure about how to manage manage that with <laughs> but yeah. you have certainly embraced the idea of collaborative response in your work as coordinator and I'd love for you to be able to talk a little bit about you know what was it about collaborative response that you saw had a, a nice connection with the work that you're doing in early years I think um, it really just started with the conversations um, when I moved into this role with our teachers and our EA staff who were saying these complexities are so great and I think they were feeling like there was a bit of a barrier as to how they could best support um, the ever complex needs. You know there's students that are physical or um, increasingly defiant or not able to do a toileting routine, for example, when they are entering kindergarten. And so staff was saying, we're at a bit of a loss. We need something to meet those needs. And so I have been part of our admin team and watching the collaborative response uh, be implemented across our schools. And I thought, why not? Why is this not something that we can do in early learning? I know teachers have also said, you know, we kind of feel like we are left out a little bit. There's a school uh, team meeting or a collaborative team meeting and we don't really fit there. You know, they're, they're kind of their own little island of educators, their needs, and also the, the pedagogy is quite different. Mm. And so I thought, you know what, this is a really great opportunity for our kindergarten and pre-kindergarten staff to come together and just dive on in. Awesome. That's so good. Well, let's uh, let's break down then a little bit of that journey. Erin, uh, can you just describe what it's looked like as you've implemented collaborative response as a mindset for your early learning teams? Yeah, so we really started um, sort of dabbling in it a little last year, and we looked at pieces of it and um, talked about team norms and used those to structure some of our support meetings and our IPP meetings. And um, then we started our work in our continuum of supports and started to categorize and add the supports for our tiers of interventions. And so this year we were lucky enough to move to half day Friday so that our afternoons are dedicated to professional learning for all of our teachers and for our EAs um, for a set number of days. And so I just took that and ran with it. We get to connect as an early learning team once a month. And so we started our first time together um, doing a breakout activity, talking about what is the purpose of a collaborative team meeting. Mm -hmm. And the small groups got together and they really discussed what that purpose was and they determined what the value of that would be. And 
they really seemed to be excited. There was kind of like that ignited spirit of, wow, I think that this could be something good. And, you know, sometimes as a leader, we'll try to kind of sell something to our team and try to encourage their engagement, but this just seemed to happen on its own. So it was, it was great. Oh, sorry. Absolutely great. I have to just jump in because Aaron, you had sent me an email right after that first meeting and you were so excited about how (laughs) everyone just grabbed onto that idea and were really excited about the potential of what they could do during that time. So that's, yeah, it was, it was great. We had, um, our teaching staff was, that was the original plan was that they would be the in the afternoons doing the collaborative work um so the first time we came together we did do a mock um, collaborative team meeting just so that our educational assistants were able to see what the teachers were getting up to on their friday pd and as it played out our educational assistants were like, we absolutely need this as well. Is there any way that we can join in this process? And so I went back and revamped the professional learning schedule for the year, because I just think that there's so much value in being able to support all of our early learning staff. Um, And there's just so much expertise and personal experiences within every staff member, whether you're a brand new hire or you've been with our division for several years, there's just so much to give. So we'll be right back to continue this episode. When we create continuums of supports for our school focused on established priorities, we are answering the question of what will we do when faced with questions of how to support the needs of our students. But the creation of these continuums are only the first step. Join us for the online workshop, 10 Considerations When Utilizing and Refining Your Continuums of Support, part of our Supporting Collaborative Response series. In this workshop, I will share five ways to effectively utilize your continuum of supports within your school and five ways to further refine your continuums to ensure maximum impact. I'll also be sharing numerous resources, templates and samples, as well as a copy of the recording. Those joining live will also have the chance to interact with me with questions they may have at the end of this session. Register today to learn more about this critical collaborative structure integral within a school's collaborative response. And now back to our conversation. Erin, I'm really excited about this too, because when we think about leading collaborative response, I was with groups of schools yesterday where they had the, where do we start? Like there's so many different components and elements that go into collaborative response. It's it's complex work. Where do we start? And my suggestion always is start with the collaborative team meeting it's it's the linchpin to this work it's often very different than how we normally talk about students and there's opportunities for some early wins by introducing that and then starting to build out your other layers and fusing your data and evidence and continuum of support so share with us a little bit even just the logistics of that collaborative team meeting as it sits now, because I know you have a number of 
early learning staff across the division? Yeah, we have about 35 staff that are joining us on those Fridays. And so we chose to break them into four groups um, based kind of on the demographics. And so we have our three city schools are um, each their own team. And then our rural schools come together and they are mixed with teachers and our educational assistants. And then occasionally our occupational therapy assistants and our speech and language assistants are joining us too. And so they really just use those templates that have been provided um, and lay it out. (laughs) They got together and we determined team roles that first time and um, they have the place cards and they assign those roles at the beginning and then there's a facilitator who has been doing such a great job every time they switch them around each time they get together and so someone else gets to be a facilitator the next time but um yeah that's outstanding and again we often talk about you know the fidelity to the process and we sometimes hear schools that say well the norms feel a little bit awkward so we kind of we don't really do that or the roles uh, feels awkward, but what's been your experience about some of those specific processes and structures impacting the conversation? They're really important because when we have traditionally done those conversations around students, I feel like there has been the time where it's a good thing. Teachers are feeling that they're in a space where they can share frustrations, but oftentimes there isn't really a solution that comes to that. Right. So by using the structures where we've assigned roles, there's someone that's kind of keeping us on task and someone who is um, setting the time to say, okay, you know, we have five minutes here. Let's make sure we're staying on track. So that that 60 minutes is really able to get from start to finish and you're not mid meeting and having to call it over. So, um, and then also looking at those team norms, I think everybody has that opportunity to talk about what is important to them in a meeting. How are you going to get value from this meeting or what things are going to deter you from seeing value in the meeting? And that was really the question that we led with when we were talking about team norms is think about a meeting that you've attended. It can be anything, parent council, your son's hockey (laughs) board meeting, anything. What is it that you loved about that meeting? And what is it that you detested (laughs) about that meeting? And the brainstorming just came out and then groups um, categorized their ideas into their norms. So Aaron, my last piece, and that is outstanding. It's exactly what we talk about as well. But I love the idea of brainstorming what's been a valuable meeting, what hasn't, and use that to help formulate as we come to craft our own norms. So my last follow-up question in regards to the collaborative structures and processes that you've put. So we've talked about the collaborative team meeting. What do the other layers look like for the early learning team? And then what have you seen as some of the early returns in regards to impact 
of these conversations? So we are only diving into the two structures of the collaborative planning and the collaborative team meeting. We are still having the schools carry out the school team meetings and the case consult. Okay. And so we have learning support teachers within each of our schools. And so they are able to go through and make sure that those universal and differentiated supports are in place with our staff. And so that to me is probably the best place for that to happen. Um, and then the case consult is kind of where I would come in and support. So if we've spent, you know, that kind of four to six week time period, trying some of those universal and um, targeted supports, and they are still not successful, we might start to look at some other avenues, you know, maybe we need um, an assessment from our occupational therapist, or um, maybe the child needs to head on over for a hearing assessment. So we use the collaborative planning and the collaborative team meeting structures more to our benefit. Mm -hmm. um, the second part of that question was just what are you seeing as impact before I turn it over to Jen? I know she's dying to uh, bring forth a question <laughs> as well. Yeah, I think that the biggest impact really has been about those collegial connections and that sense of community, just knowing that they are not alone, especially our educational assistants. We have amazing assistants who come to us and they don't have the training behind them that some of our teachers have or, you know, some of those experiences that teachers have. And so we just want them to know that there is a way that we can support you. And they also have, there's been um, comments about the appreciation of that opportunity to meet and discuss issues and then determine the solutions within a dedicated block of time. And so they know that their days are <laughs> from start to finish, go, go, go. They don't, don't have time to stop and connect with one another. And often the day starts and the day ends and <laughs> they barely have an opportunity to say hello. So this has provided them that opportunity to sit together as a team and talk about those students and support the students. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much, Erin. Erin, having come from a small rural school, like I said, K to 12, Northern Alberta, I really appreciate the, the consciousness that's gone into connecting those teachers that are individual mm -hmm. in their roles, in their different rural schools where they may be an hour or so apart. Yeah. Now I'm a self-professed data geek. I love data. This question is brought to you by WeCollab. Designed by educators for educators, this comprehensive digital system aligns with the foundational components of collaborative response. Moving from conversation to action, WeCollab empowers classrooms, schools, and systems to provide the very best response for each and every child by informing action-based decision-making with data and evidence supporting student success. When you're bringing together these 
teachers who are operating in different buildings. How are they accessing data to have those conversations where there's common grounds about student needs and what supports are required? So when we are looking at our early learners, our data does look a little different from what it might look like in that grade one to 12. And in kindergarten, we are using some numeracy and some literacy assessments. But in our pre-kindergarten classrooms, we are really looking at those developmental assessments and screeners to guide all of the supports and our information. So that's great. And we know that, you know, how important looking at data and evidence is to help us really identify mm -hmm. students. And I know, you know, within those early years, we we really depend on uh, speech language pathologists and occupational therapists to help you help us out with, you know, what what are those specific areas that we need to be able to focus on for our little ones. Yeah, and that then really helps flag who we should be um, really looking at for some early supports and then defining out the key issues that we're seeing that we need to address. I learned so much about early literacy and early numeracy in my learning coach role that that I totally took for granted as a high school teacher because when you break reading down into things like phonological awareness and rhyming patterns and blends and there are a lot of different areas just in reading that children could need support and then when you translate from speech to reading and all of those things that they're they're trying to do like it is complex so again like i i honor <laughs> the early years because of all the the things that have to be considered at those stages to give these kids a strong foundation yeah and our kindergarten and pre-kindergarten, it is really about that emergent literacy, emergent numeracy. So when we're talking about that phonological awareness or the rhyming, those things are happening in our little class, little learner classrooms, but they look a little different. They are happening through more of an exploration play-based environment and we want to give our kids that opportunity to discover and understand the world around them by themselves. Oh, the play base is so, so integral to, for those little people that three and four year olds and even five year olds need to be able to build that understand understanding through through play. Mm -hmm. So that yeah. makes me think, Erin, about um, the continuum of supports. As you mentioned earlier, that you had uh, started on the development of that with your team, and just love to be able to hear, you know, how have you gone about doing that, and uh, where are you at? knowing that it's forever evolving. <laughs> it is definitely. Um, we have talked about it being a working document. We're going to add things. And uh, even our last session, there was things that teachers and assistants were like, absolutely no way. <laughs> yeah. This is no good anymore. Let's get that out of there. And so <laughs> we did. We took it out and just created a new document right there for them to be able to use in their collaborative team meetings. Um, and their collaborative planning. So last year we started by um, talking about what supports were 
within the classrooms. What were we doing every day for all of our learners? And then what kind of things were we differentiating for our learners who weren't quite able to get things universally? And the list was long <laughs> and the ideas were amazing. And so then we had to categorize. We had to determine what, how are, how are we going to lay that out so that teachers were able to best use that continuum of supports. Um, so the categories were created based actually around the developmental domains um, of our early learners. Mm -hmm. And then this year, that was presented. We did have new staff join us. So we had a conversation about what that was and what the tiers of support are and um, talked about even the tier three and the tier four and what that looks like. And often our pre-kindergarten classrooms are coming in as the tier three level um, needs for support. So we do keep that in mind as we're creating our continuum of supports as well. And then um, we added to that list, refined, like I said, took a few things off that just didn't make sense anymore. And then printed a nice copy for everyone to access. So, and that is the hope that when those conversations are happening uh, at school levels or with that school support team, that document is being referred to regularly so that those tools can be pulled out and used. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, Erin, could we share your continuum of supports along with this uh, podcast? Can we share it in the notes? Yeah, sure. Hey, that would I'll, be fantastic. Um, yeah, sure. I will share that to you uh, right after we're done. Awesome. The newest one. Now, Erin, it is abundantly clear that you've spent a lot of time thinking, processing, working through collaborative response as we hear things like the case consult teams and tier three and language that we're nodding and familiar with and you're sharing. If there's any of our viewers or listeners that uh, are feeling like they're not quite sure what some of these things mean, we'll also pop into the notes the um, a free article that we have for collaborative response that can really help break down some of these ideas at an introductory level. So that link will be there as well. We have, and of uh, course, we have our book that uh, was published by Corwin in 2022, um, Collaborative Response, Three Foundational Components that Transform How We Respond to the Needs of Learners. And uh, for our listeners today, we'd love to be able to give you 10% off by using the code JLPODCAST10, and we'll include that in the, in the notes, notes as, as well. well. So our last piece here, Erin, is we always turn to Jen for a question that we love asking guests when they come on. I'll I'll hand it over to Jen to take the lead. So before sure. I ask the question, Erin, Curtis and Lorna are always far too humble and do not sell themselves nearly enough with all the ideas that they have 
fraught from a grassroots perspective, but they are listed as one of Corwin's best-selling sets of authors. And that book has been on the bestseller list since its release. So uh, I just want to give them a shout out for all the work that they've done in sharing the ideas and growing the collaborative response movement, because it really is transformational when we talk about how we're going to support kids. I agree. Yeah. And the work that we have done with them as a division has just been so easy to jump in and get the work going and um, both Curtis and Lorna have an understanding of people who are just acquiring something new and they're very patient and kind and understanding. So yeah, it's been, it has been a great process. Oh, thanks, Aaron. Thank you. In the spirit of, if you knew then what you know now, what advice might you give yourself in relation to leading the work of collaborative response back then? I think it would just be make it a priority. Um, let the team dig in and just do it. Uh, I did spend a lot of time thinking things through and meeting with um, the consultants within Jigsaw and chatting it through with Lorna. And I just thought it through so, so much. And I think that we could have started it last year um, if I would have just opened it up and said, go for it. Because I do trust that the professionals are going to do what they've been tasked to do, um, especially because this group was looking for those built-in structures and that time. Um, so like every educator does, those professionals take it and do their magic with it, refine it and make it better than I could ever envision. So my advice to myself would have been let go and just let your team dig in. Oh, that's, and that's hard for many, many Absolutely. people in leadership to, to be, so that's <laughs> great advice because yeah. we often, of course, you know, we always share that, that phrase, ready, fire, aim that, you know, you just yeah. get yourself prepared, but then jump right in and get going. And, uh, and we have lots and lots of people we work with who have lots of questions before they actually move forward. So, so that is great advice. Erin, this has been so much fun being able to join you and uh, talk through your journey. And uh, what a great experience, especially in that early learning area, which we we know is sometimes unique, but can still be impacted by uh, the collaborative response mindset. So thank you so much, Erin, for your time today. Thank you, Erin. Yes, thank you thank so you, much Aaron. for having me. Yes, you too, Jen. All right, take care, Erin. You as well. So I'm always blown away when we can engage in these conversations with people leading collaborative response within their own organizations. And I think today it was really interesting to hear that overlay of um, individuals that are leading early learning within their schools, but then collaborating as an entire system. I, I find that fascinating. I What really stuck with me was the idea when we think of those four layers of team of collaborative planning, collaborative team meeting, school support, case consult, I, I find it very, very interesting how they've come to envision that the collaborative planning and the collaborative team meeting 
happens across the system so that they can leverage the exceptional expertise of people engaging in early learning practices at multiple different sites. But then when the conversation becomes more specific to individual students in the school support and case consult, then that still occurs at the school level because we'll have the right people involved. I, I thought that was such a fascinating way mm. to be able to leverage expertise across the system, but still recognizing within the layers of the team that there's school-based conversations that become integral for more intensive discussions. Well, and what a great way to uh, enhance the learning and understanding mm -hmm. with that team, because often there is one kindergarten teacher in a school, especially in small schools, oh, yeah. or there might even be a part-time kindergarten teacher, but, but this way they still are accessing uh, the learning part together through collaborative planning and learning together and sharing strategies but through collaborative Growing that meetings. expertise of the team yeah. when there may be individuals that feel somewhat isolated mm. in their own schools but then when coming to talk about specific students and their programming that needs to go back to the school levels for the people who are actually engaging in that work with Absolutely. them right so yeah Erin has done like she said she she took a lot of time to think about you know how do we revise uh what we're currently doing and uh and she has done some fantastic things across the district in connecting all those early learning educators, mm -hmm. which is which is really, really fantastic. I loved her approach with the the breakout activity she talked about where, you know, here's the collaborative team meeting and but having the teachers identify, you know, what they felt the purpose of that was, how they were going to take value out of the yeah. approach that was being suggested from a system level and giving them ownership and empowering them to make this what was going to work for them in their context. But again, connecting across the system. Well, and even further to that, Jen, that's absolutely true about the teachers that she's been engaging with, but her ability to be able to include the educational assistants as well, and mm -hmm. how excited and empowered they were to be part of that process. And her intention originally was just to have them join the first meeting so that they understood what was happening. And then and then they were going to do other professional learning, but they were so excited about the process and being part of it that they asked her if they could be involved ongoing. So that's, that's really exciting. We often talk about, you know, how empowering this is for educational assistance, both in contributing to the discussion, but also for them in learning those new strategies. So that's exciting to hear that happening. But there. when you talk about that adjustment, it comes back to her key learning that she shared at the end of the idea of trust the team, that the mm -hmm. team is going to make suggestions and next steps. But I, I think it's always such an interesting balance of being able to trust the team but while still ensuring there's fidelity to some core principles mm -hmm. in the process where she said, you know, we knew we needed to establish norms. We knew we had to have roles, like all the things that we talk about that can't be cherry picked mm -hmm. out of the process because they are so integral to the process. She ensured that those 
were maintained while trusting the team to make adjustments in regards mm -hmm. to the some of the format who's invited all of that as well i think that um that she, Aaron really exhibits that idea that we often share around, you know, setting the banks of the river and then letting the river flow. So really, yeah, don't really understanding that uh, everyone has uh, contributions to make and that are going to help with the process moving forward, but that as leaders, we still set those expectations so that uh, we have some consistency and we have some fidelity in the process. Mm -hmm. You can tell she has integrity in her understanding of collaborative response as a whole. I mean, she was Absolutely. able to touch on all of the key foundational principles with ease coming from an early years environment, right? Okay, let's talk about data and here's all the different things that we're using. Let's talk about structures and this is how we're leveraging our half day Fridays. Let's talk about the continuum of supports and oh, this is how we're <laughs> categorizing them based on the domains of development in early learning and recognizing the way that those pieces come together and really enhance the work that's being done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So Jen, we're always at that part of the episode where we turn to you to see if you can synthesize what are the key learnings that we can take away today from our conversation with Aaron. Systemic approach is contextual. So taking a look at how they have leveraged their approach with tier one and tier two conversations happening across the system and tier three and tier four situ conversations happening within each school with the key players that are there. And the purpose of enhancing um, teacher efficacy and professional practice by talking about teacher efficacy and professional practice. Absolutely. Yeah. The second piece is just the inclusion of the people at the table. And so recognizing the value of every person that is connected to a child. So she she referenced at some point, and I don't know if we got it recorded or not, that notion of every child deserves a team. And so where that team includes more than the teacher, then the EAs that need to be a part of those conversations. The occupational therapists, speech language pathologists. Yeah. Yeah. They all have a place at the table for those students. Mm -hmm. And then the last part is that balance of trusting the team while ensuring the fidelity of the process. And so Curtis, you said it right there, don't micromanage. It is a learning process of teaching everyone what the components are and how they're intertwined to ensure that those foundational principles are implemented with fidelity, but allowing them to run with it and refine it and enhance it in a way that makes sense for them. Yeah. Absolutely. So thank you so much for that, Jen. It's a great conversation with Aaron. And as we alluded to at the start of the episode, we are making some shifts within our organization that we're really excited about. Uh, one of the things that we will be doing is sunsetting our Putting the Pieces Together uh, podcast. This has been the place where we have connected in the past with partners. And as we shared, we actually are going to use the leading collaborative response um, forum to be able to have those connections. So if anyone's listening to this and not familiar with putting the pieces together, we'll make sure to include it into the show notes so that you can go back and listen to the many, many partners. How many would we have there, Jen? How many episodes would you suggest is in there? 49 or so. 49 oh, yeah. or so. Okay. So uh, <laughs> we have that there. 
And we know that there will be, um, as we transition, that your involvement in the podcast is going to go away, which is sad, but it's also very exciting when we think about the reason why, and that is with the growing interest and demand for the WeCollab software that is really intended to help support schools and divisions when implementing collaborative response. Jen, do you want to share a little bit about um, your your involvement and building out some of the WeCollab supports that, that we're really putting attention to? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, you you know how much I love the software, having been a part of it from when it was a napkin conversation before it was even developed. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've seen the the growth in it as really, it's been designed by educators for educators and then taken to a development team to put into practice. And so over time with the feedback of the partners that have used it, it has built from just being a digital place for cards to student profiles, to places to record all the meeting notes, to seeing actions and supports put in place for students. And the potential within the system is incredible. Uh, One of the things I love that you've added over the years and having been a a part of refining that is that student support plan module, because again, it's part of the conversation about how we support students. So I'm really excited that uh, I get the opportunity now that it's been rewritten and refined one more time to have those support documents and support videos that are being part of development and the ongoing showcasing of really how it can enhance schools and districts that are engaging in collaborative response in terms of efficiency and effectiveness of the communication and transparency from those meetings. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jen. And we do have a few more episodes to be able to continue to thank you for the amazing dedication and efforts you've brought into the podcasting elements, which we're excited to um, place into the WeCollab user support um, resources as well. So we have a few more episodes. It is our intent that as we move into 2024, that we finalize that transition. So a few more weeks before that happens. I will be sad to not be connecting with partners in the same way, but I'm still looking forward to connecting with partners in the work that Jigsaw Learning is doing. So thank you both for this opportunity. Thanks so much, Jen. Thank you. All right, take care. For more on collaborative response, visit jigsawlearning.ca or join the JL Insider to receive access to newly added resources and content. Make sure to follow us on social media. Subscribe to the podcast and the Jigsaw Learning YouTube channel to access past and upcoming episodes. Join us again to continue to build your own capacity in leading collaborative response in your context.